As you know, we're in Hebrews again for just a few more weeks. We're coming close to the finish line. And once you hear the passage of scripture from Hebrews 12, you'll understand how my personal experiences and this passage sort of seem to come together over the last few weeks. Forgive me if there's too many personal references in here. It's an occupational hazard from time to time. So a couple of weeks ago, I stood at the 25-mile mark, roughly, on the Boston Marathon course, watching the racers pass by. I was there with my father and my brother, both of whom had run the marathon several times before, and we watched as the runners stumbled, walked, or glided around that corner onto the home stretch. Some runners stopped to stretch out cramps. Some paused for rest. In every instant, no matter what the reason was that a person in the race had stopped, other runners urged them onward. I saw taps on the shoulders. I heard calls. You can make it. Keep going. It's not that much further. These runners who intimately knew what their compatriots were feeling at the moment, were shouting out encouragement, some even stopping in order to help those runners who seemed to be having a crisis or a cramp or something like that. They all desperately wanted one another to finish the race. Some runners never made it past mile 25. But between the crowd and the contestants, Every effort was being made to help every possible person finish the race. Hebrews 11, the chapter we looked at last week, is the listing of the faithful across many generations. These are men and women who know the race course. Their advice is solid. They are actively watching, cheering for us. We can go to these examples of faith and learn from them about our own struggles, sometimes through scripture, sometimes in other ways. We also have the advantage of being a part of a living church where we can sit with examples of faith week by week, and we can talk to to them directly about this race that we're all running. Listen to the author's description of the race we are in. This is Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 1, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. Quote, My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? 
If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, our parents, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. Now discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. I'm hoping that you can hear the Hebrews author shout, run, 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 don't give up, don't grow weary in well-doing, keep running. When my brother Tim was preparing to run this last marathon, guess whose advice he wanted in the preparation? Mine? who has never run even as much as a 10K race in all my life, or my father's, who's run the Boston Marathon at least twice and six or eight other marathons besides. You think he's calling me for running advice? Why would he? I don't understand. I don't have the experience. It's an easy answer, right? This author is telling us there is this cloud of witnesses surround us who have experience, who know exactly what we're going through, but there is one who has more than even experience. The fixed point in this race is Jesus. He is the one who has more than experience in the race. Yes, he's run the course. Yes, he knows every step of the course. Oh, He also designed the course. Oh, by the way, he also knows every dangerous spot or where the course has been corrupted by sin along the way. Oh, he also knows what happens when the race is finished. In fact, he's the instigator of the race, and he is the completion of the race. What do we say? He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And he is in your corner. You have to know that. You have to know he is in your corner. He wants you to succeed. And he, with the whole rest of the crowd, is cheering for you. That's how this life race is supposed to look. And so he gives you advice. I think it's wise to ask for advice from someone like that and to pay attention to the advice that a person like that gives. And this is what he says. Strip off the sweats. Everything that hinders must be cast aside. There was a time during the training, perhaps, when you may have slapped some extra weights on your ankle to build up strength in your legs. That time is past. Strip off everything that hinders. It's time to run. At the start of the Boston Marathon, It's usually cold, it's happening early in the year, and the runners all wear throwaway clothes. They're told to do that. So they can stay warm until it's time to start the race, and then they all have these clothes, some of them even extra shoes to change out of, and they just cast them away at the beginning of the race. There's a giant pile of clothes left behind at the beginning of the Boston Marathon every year. Because 
You can't afford to have anything on you that will encumber you. In this case, it's the sin that so easily entangles us and traps us and keeps us from running. If you're gonna reach the goal, every single thing that keeps you from reaching it must go. Our author also says that in running this race, when Jesus looks back on his experience of running it, which is really what the incarnation is, right? Jesus running this race. He endured everything he endured for the joy set before him. There was a reason he was running. And I'm curious, what joy was it that motivated Jesus to run and finish the race he was assigned? It wasn't an easy race. He knew there was gonna be blood at the end of it. He knew it would not be an easy race at all. So what was the joy? What was the goal for Jesus? I believe Jesus' goal was to run into the very throne room of God surrounded by this great crowd of runners. Jesus at the head of this magnificent parade, people from every tribe and nation, from every time and every culture, from the past and from our future, and Jesus brings them all with him into the very throne room of God and presents them to his Father. This is the joy of Jesus. Look, Father, see how many we have saved. See how many we have salvaged from the insidious destruction of sin. See how many have not bent their knees to foreign idols. See how many have been washed in the blood of the crucified lamb. See your children, Father, look. This is our family. That's Jesus' joy, to reconcile the family and bring them all home together. And for that joy alone, Jesus is willing to risk everything, to endure everything. This is the joy that Jesus embraces. This is the measure of his suffering. The road that we're asked to run is hard at times. There are lots of opportunities to give up. But our author gives us some advice. In verse three and four he says, consider Jesus and recognize that we haven't yet suffered as much as Christ did. Now when he says that, he's not saying that to trivialize us or to shame or belittle the amount of suffering that we've had to endure. He's simply saying this. Jesus valued the prize so much that he was willing to do and endure anything for the sake of that prize because it was worth it to him. And the Hebrews author is saying, whatever you have to endure, it will be worth it to you. It's gonna be worth it. The joy that comes from serving Christ, especially when you look at it through the long lens, is gonna be more joyful than you could conceivably imagine. There will be hard days but there is a significant goal, an eternal goal that is in view. And next he says something I think that's curious. He says, everything that you're enduring isn't necessarily or precisely discipline. 
Some of your hard times are discipline. Some of the things that you're enduring have been brought to your life or allowed by Christ in order to discipline you, to build strength, to build stamina, because the Father knows there are things in your future that you're gonna need strength or stamina for, and unless you don't build through discipline some strength into your spine, you'll never stand on the day of testing. So there are some things that God builds into your life that are disciplined, that will enable you to stand in a time of testing and difficulty. But there are other things, other nasty things in your life that are not that, that are the result of sin and evil in the world. They are not ordained. They are the choices of other people based on the free will that God has given them. And we hate that kind of stuff. A relative of yours gets hit by a drunk driver. God didn't plan that. He's not the author of evil. Scripture tells us clearly God doesn't tempt anyone. The scriptures tell us. And so how do you make sense of that? And this is the advice the Hebrews author gives us here. He says, accept hardship as a discipline. Well, what does that mean? It means those things in life that are just nasty. We didn't want them to happen. We didn't cause them to happen. God didn't cause them to happen. We choose how we're going to look at them. We either get bitter or we draw closer to God. We either get angry or we draw closer to God. And so we have to make a choice what we're gonna do with the miserable junk that comes into our life this way. And what this author is saying is, you don't have to know how it got into your life. What you have to know is that Jesus can take all the junk and can help us find a way through it and there may even be lessons to be learned in the stuff that was just evil. And so he says, rather than try to spend your energy figuring out whether this is from God and it's a discipline for me, or whether this is just sin in the world and the effect of it, it doesn't matter where it came from, accept it all as discipline and look and see what benefit I can have. Where, where's the opportunity to, go, to do good in this? Where is the, hospital to breathe, the, the opportunity to breathe life into this? Where is the chance uh, for me to learn something from this? Is, is there anything here redeemable? Because Jesus is all about redeeming everything that can be redeemed. And so whether it's discipline from God for our good, or it's the attacks of our enemy or others who have the spirit of our enemy in them, We'll just take it all as discipline because we've chosen to live our lives to the glory of God. And we can trust him to be with us regardless what happens. I hope what you heard me say in all that is everything doesn't happen for a reason. It doesn't. Unless the reason just sometimes is evil and sin. And that's not a reason that we want to accept. But we will learn and we will use every opportunity that comes our way to glorify God. Sometimes even there are things that come into our lives that are evil, that we have to deal with, and we recognize that the root of it is a matter of injustice. Sometimes it's not a matter of looking for the discipline or lesson that we can learn from it. Sometimes it's a matter of seeing the injustice in it and taking a stand against it. Because some of those things just must be fought against. 
We've got plenty of cultural issues facing us as a culture. Euthanasia is one of them. We should take a stand against that because we believe in the sanctity of life. And so where there's issues of injustice, we stand against those things. That's part of our appropriate running of the race in Christ. You know, there's something more important than our understanding of every situation. There's something more important than everything having to make sense. Whether life makes sense or not, reaching the goal, reaching the finish line successfully is the most important thing. You have to finish the race. Everything hangs on crossing the finish line and not just you. If you spent any time in the American Armed Forces, you're familiar with the idea of no man left behind. The letter of the Hebrews is not written to one individual. It is written to the church, the whole church. And while there is certainly an aspect that we have to run these races individually to some degree, we are also responsible for one another and to run this thing together to make sure that we all cross the finish line. This race is a group project. Did you catch that? This race we are on is a group project. If you go to YouTube or to Google online and you just Google helped finish the marathon, or words like that, all these videos will come up of people who were struggling at the end of races and someone jumped in to help them finish the race. People who were limping, people who were injured. There's, there's a, a video of two ladies finishing a marathon where um, the lady who was expected to win within the last 100 yards of the race just collapsed. And her competitor, you know, this, is, this isn't like somewhere in the middle of the pack. This is at the front edge of the race. The competitor can't leave the one who was anticipated to win and laying in the street. So she just sort of picks her up and together they just sort of stumble across the line and you get to the line and the lady who's lifting, the one who's completely weak, just waits until her friend crosses the line first then she steps in behind her. And I'm looking at that picture and I'm saying, there's a woman who understands that we finished this race together. That, that we all must win. To the extent that we don't all win, none of us wins completely because we're given to one another. That's the nature of our fellowship in the church and our, our belonging to the body of Christ. And so I guess the only question remaining is to say, are you gonna run? I mean, what's your response to that? Will you strip off everything that hinders? Activities, distractions, divisions, grudges, pride, everything that hinders and get running toward the prize. As you've heard me say many times over the last several months, this letter is written to these Hebrew folks who are growing weary, they're growing tired. They've been working hard for 30 plus years and, and they're tempted to slip back into Judaism. They're not, they're not sure if it's worth it. They're not sure if they should persevere. They've been working hard for a long time and 
Maybe they didn't see the results they wanted or they were beginning to lose faith or maybe they were tired of waiting for answers to their prayers. This author's telling us there's no time for that. The goal is in sight. We're 25 miles in. You can see the finish line there. We gotta finish strong. It is time to get going. It is time to build your kingdom through us, Lord Jesus. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know what that means. Let your kingdom come through us. Build your kingdom through us. That's the grammatical tense of those words. And we've gotta be ready to say to the Spirit, build your kingdom through us, and together we gotta go. So I hope that the words of this cloud of witnesses to you is an encouragement to you, and that you have the sense that the Spirit is at work in you, wants to accomplish things in you, and will assist you to accomplish that which he has in mind for you. So don't give up, don't grow weary, encourage one another, spur one another on to good deeds and good works, and together, let's finish this race strong. Holy Spirit, amaze us by what you do through us and your church here in our land. May we live our days in pursuit of your mission. Let your kingdom come through us. Let your will be done in us, we pray. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.